Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Welcome, my friends, to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. So glad that you are tuning in as you and I continue our study in the Gospels as we look at the life and teaching of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray this has been a blessing to you, not just intellectually, but overall spiritually as you and I encounter Jesus, as we reflect and look back at these beautiful teachings and as he encountered certain people at certain periods of time. And so as we do this chronological uh, uh, account in the, in the sequential order, historically speaking, that it enriches our understanding of the text. And as we do that hermeneutically, that it also gives us greater insight as we look at other uh, books of the Bible. So I pray this has been a huge blessing. Remember, as always, all the details are on our website at standstrongministries.org. Click on our study notes. They're available. Share them with your friends. Tell your family about this, your small group at church. These are great resources that you guys can do together from the podcast to the study notes. And again, if you have any questions, as many of you guys have dropped me a note of just prayer, encouragement, but also your questions, man, I love to hear from you. So thank you so much for those. So last time when we ended, we were discussing when a brother or sister wrongs you. And that's in Matthew 18. Remember that famous passage and I got to say, as I even studied for that, you know, you, of course, you go in your mind, you go through things that have occurred in your life, especially being, uh, you know, in full-time ministry, uh, you know, just the, the different types of people and the different situations uh, that you're put into as a shepherd. And they're tough. They're not always pleasant. But I got to say, I thank the Lord for that particular passage because I've had to not just open it and read it out loud to myself, but also to a group of people. But seeing how God, when you follow his word, you see how God can radically change your life. When you trust his process, not yours, not mine, but when you trust his process. Now, we course, you know, we know, of course, that it doesn't always work out that way, that there are going to be times when you confront someone as we're told to do in Matthew 18, if they've wronged you, obviously you're not just going to falsely accuse someone or openly rebuke them in pride. That's not obviously the way that, that Jesus lays it out in scripture. But when there are times when you have to deal with something because you love that person and you want it to be reconciled and you want to honor God in the process and it doesn't work out, that's not just tough, it's painful. And so I just pray that if, if you've listened to that podcast, as we now kind of take a part two and we finish at Matthew 18, that it really not just refreshed you, but, but really convicted you. And if there's uh, people that you've wronged or have wronged you, that you would deal with it according to scripture. And the four, remember the four steps that we talked about, and they're very important because this is where we pick things up now, this parable that is connected to what we uh, talked about in Matthew 15, 20. But the first step that Jesus reminded us was personal confrontation, that you and I have to be willing to address whatever issue it is with this person, and we have to do it privately. We have to try to resolve it. Remember, the whole purpose and objective, if you will, in doing this was to gain our brother or our sister. And remember, in Greek, that implied a beautiful achievement is about reconciliation. And that was the focus. And the other thing we saw was to keep the matter private. We are not about 
gossip. We're not to be. We're not to go out there and create rumors and quarrels. We as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to stay united. And unfortunately, oftentimes, even though someone has been wronged, okay, and they have a you know a right to confront that person, they choose not to, and they make it a big issue, and they start telling people about it, and they breach confidentiality. That is wrong. And so now you have now wronged that person because you've kind of, if you will, aired out their dirty laundry in front of everybody else and put judgment calls out there. And the purpose is to gain back their brother, and that's not the way to do it. Now, as we do personal confrontation and things don't work out the way that we hoped and prayed for, the second thing that we see in Scripture was about this impartial arbitration. This is when the offender and the offended, if they're unable to reconcile, they're to bring whatever issue that they're struggling through to honorable Christians, uh, you know, one, you know, no more than two, if you will, or even just one person that both of you respect, and to step in there and to, you know, play a role of validating and invalidating certain accusations. And hopefully with that type of wisdom there, as you pray and as you turn to scripture, to have an objective player, a friend, you know, a trusted partner to try to help you guys uh, resolve whatever conflict is there. If that doesn't work, the third step, of course, was church admonition. Now, this is already showing a sign of unrepentance. So I'll be uh, flatly honest about that. And again, I've been in these kind of situations. And at this stage, oftentimes, it's just not good. If the offender refuses not just to recognize uh, the error of their ways, if you will, but they're unrepentant and they're defending themselves, it gets very ugly. So if you've been a part of that, you know, that in your life, as I have, it's not pretty. And so it's really sad. And of course, the fourth and final step in all this, if the person continues to remain unrepentant, they're no longer welcomed. And we talked about corporate exclusion. And that's sad because ultimately that person uh, was not willing to uh, receive forgiveness, uh, not ask for it, and then they're not a part of the fellowship and sometimes that's a necessary step. So we talked about that. And so I hope that just been uh, an encouraging word for you guys, no matter what you're faced with, what you're going through. And so today we pick things up in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, where in response to Jesus talking about uh, this confrontation that takes place with, with a brother or sister who's been offended, Peter then responds, and that's where we pick things up in verse 21. And he asked Jesus this penetrating question in verse 21 of Matthew 18. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And then in verse 22 of Matthew 18, Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have mercy with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and he pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. 
When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and he said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Well, this happens to be one of my favorite parables that Jesus has ever given that we have recorded. So let's break things down and show how and why, if you will, Jesus shares this parable on the hills of him just talking about, you know, when a brother or sister wrongs you. So in response to what Jesus just talked about, Peter comes to him and he asks him this valid question. Okay, Lord, I know that we're to forgive our brother and our sister, but how many times? Seven times? So notice the other follow-up question. How many times? Should it be seven times? Now, when you look back at the question, when he says, Lord, how often? That just literally means how many times? So it's, in, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting here because it's almost like Peter knows that you can't just forgive them once. I know there have to be several times, you know, that you need to forgive in order to restore the relationship, if you will. But this term, he says, when my brother sins, literally when he engages in wrongdoing to me, against me, he says, am I to forgive? Now notice he says here in, in, in what it means in the Greek is to pardon or to remove him of his guilt. Like how far does this really go until when that really actually happens? So this isn't just some kind of cheesy like, oh, I'm sorry I did that. Okay, it's all good. And you move on. We tend to sometimes do that. We don't really explain what we're sorry for. And we don't really oftentimes even use the terminology forgiveness. I'm sorry, for example, I'm sorry I've hurt you you know, I, I don't like the fact that I did. My intent, if I'm being honest, was actually to hurt you because, you know, I was upset with you. And they just admit that for real. And will you forgive me? And then you list whatever wrongs. See, that's kind of what Peter's asking here. Because this terminology, if my brother is engaging in wrongdoing to me, so this shows a pattern of behavior that is not only hurtful, but is offensive. He says, how do I part? How many times do I pardon? How many times do I need to remove this person of their guilt? Up to seven times? Now, into the second question, what Peter was getting at was in rabbinic teaching at that point, it just taught the Jews to forgive their the person who was offending them up to three times. So it's interesting because Peter hears what Jesus talks about in verses 15 through 20 about confronting a brother and the levels that oftentimes need to take place if, if need be. And so he's showing kind of his generosity. He's saying, I'm going to double it up. You know, I'm not just going to say three times, right? Because he knows that as a Jew. And he knows he's around Jesus. And so he's kind of saying, you know, you know, seven times is good, right? And it's interesting because this is tied back, remember, to verse 15, if your brother sins against you. And then we see this term, this terminology used again in the question, when my brother sins against me, how many times am I to forgive him? So Jesus understands, of course, the question, the both questions that is. And his response to Peter is interesting because if you look at it, he says, I don't say to you seven times. Well, remember, Peter didn't say, Jesus, do you say seven times? 
Jesus puts himself in that context and he says, I'm not saying seven times. So he understands in one sense that he's doubling it up from the rabbinic teaching. Jesus being a rabbi, but of course he's a son of God. He's not tied to the three times because that's not a biblical mark, nor is seven. He says, but 77 times, which of course, multiplication, 490. So his response to Peter is unlimited forgiveness. And by using seven, which Peter uses, and he uses it 77 times, he's showing a completeness and wholeness in the process, right? We saw that we, we are to gain our brother and our sister in the process of, of personal confrontation. And that's a beautiful picture of reconciliation that God desires for all of his children to have, not just together, but with him. But what Peter does in asking this question is he's going to the right source. And so Jesus being the right source, being God in the flesh, he responds to him by saying, listen, as I am about to forgive you guys on the cross and show this unlimited forgiveness, unlimited forgiveness, think about that, my friend. He says, you need to show that kind of love. And that love doesn't come in and of yourself. So Peter, you can say, oh man, I'm doing better than the average person. All these Jews out there, they're forgiving their brother or their sister three times. And that, if you think about it, let's just pause for a moment. Because when I was studying this and I was thinking about my own personal life, when someone wrongs us, we just get offended. And it's very hard for us just to forgive them. And even if you say, well, that's okay, I forgive you. Just don't let it happen again. We could still hold a grudge and then that's it. But can you imagine they do it again and then they do it again. You forgive them, you forgive them. So you're at three, as the, as the Jewish law said here. And so right there, you think that's, that, that is pretty hard to do. But seven, that's even harder. I mean, how do you keep track of that? But of course, Jesus is not doing in a sense of a numerical sense. He's showing that the ultimate standard is God. And so now what he's going to do, as he oftentimes does, is he's going to introduce this parable to explain what he means by the 77 times, if you will. And so in verse 23, Jesus now compares the kingdom of heaven like a king who wishes to settle counts with his servants. Now, here's what's interesting. When you go back in Matthew 18 and you look at verse 5, Jesus referred to the people he was speaking to as little children. Then in verse 12, he refers to them as sheep. And now here he, re he refers to people using the simile as servants. So you see this kind of progression in each mark, little children, sheep, and servants takes a particular twist in what Jesus is trying to convey to the people. So now we're using the terminology servants. And what's also interesting is this parable is actually Jesus using a Gentile kingdom as a way to, to set out, to evaluate the work of his servants to settle these accounts, to show his listeners, Peter in this case, and the rest of the disciples, whoever else was around, to show that the kingdom of heaven, God, if you will, how he treats his servants in context of Peter, because you know we do need to be concerned with offended parties, no question. But first and foremost, we need to be most concerned, right? with our relationship with God. And so that's what Jesus is gonna show here by using these servants' followers to demonstrate proper and ultimate forgiveness. So when you see here in verse 24, when he began to settle this king, right, of his kingdom, it literally means when he came to bring to rest all of these issues that he was dealing with. 
And one of the servants was brought to him. He owed him 10,000 talents. Literally, it's millions of dollars. And of course, this servant couldn't afford this. And so he was going to have this servant and his family be sold to try to make a little bit of a payment. And of course, the servant responds as anyone would do rightly in the situation and is begging him and says, have patience. Literally just means wait patiently to receive a promise. So he's saying in essence, you know, to his master, to his king, I promised that I would pay this back. So please just be more patient and let me do it. Because he says here, I will pay literally means I will I will fulfill this obligation in everything. Now notice in verse 27, the master doesn't strike him, doesn't kill him, doesn't throw him in prison, but instead he has pity on him. This literally just means he has great affection. He has compassion in response to this man's plea. And the master of the servant, he releases, it literally means just he sets him free and he forgives, releases him of his obligation. That's what that means. It just means he cancels his debt entirely. Now, a couple of things to look at in context here to understand more clearly the parable and the choice of words that we see in the original that Jesus is, con- that he's you know conveying here. Number one is let's understand what a talent actually is because notice this servant comes to his master when he's trying to make rest, when he's trying to settle these accounts and owes him 10,000 talents. So talent was just the largest quantity of currency. One commentary puts it like this. The Greek text reference to 10,000 talents represents the largest number used in ancient calculations and the highest monetary unit at that time. One talent was equivalent, catch this, to 15 years worth of wages. How many talents did this man owed? 10,000. So it would have taken this man, if you will, hundreds of years, hundreds of years. So not only did is it ridiculous to think about the man racked up this amount of debt, but also that he says that he will, and he's promising him, I will pay this back in one lifetime is impossible. So the point here though, is we, before we move any further, Jesus sets up this parable in just ridiculous terms, right? In such a, an extravagant way. And the reason being is because when you do take this parable, but you apply it to reality, it reflects the immeasurable mercy of God but it also demonstrates the absurdity of man of what we do to one another. And that's the point here. You see, the price of a male slave, another thing we need to understand, back then was roughly one talent. So remember, when you looked at uh, one talent was equivalent of 15 years worth of wages. And so if you sold a slave, um, his family was nothing, by the way. So you sell the slave and you get 15 years worth of wages. But this man owed hundreds, if you will, years of worth of, of wages. So the king... Uh, would not be able to be repaid. So instead, they would issue the selling of a slave uh, because he was irresponsible. And so he was no longer to be a part of his kingdom. But by doing that, of course, he would never get his money anyway. So the, the servant, though, in response, though, he pleads for patience. But here's what's also interesting. He pleads for the wrong thing. He's pleading with him, trying to reason with him to say, I'll pay you back. So you've probably been doing this. Think about that. How many people say, oh, well, I was sorry for that. I didn't really mean that. And you're like, oh, okay. And they do it again. Oh, I didn't really mean that. You know, but they, they kind of in a sense sound like they're apologetic and they're sorry and they're going to change their ways, but they never do. That's what this servant here is doing. He's pleading for the wrong thing. He's pleading for more time and for the 
master to extend that time rather than pleading for what? For forgiveness. So this, in verses 24 through 27, shows the ignorance and the foolishness of this servant. And yet the king, he doesn't release him because he's, oh, okay, I trust you. I believe you. Go out there and go get my money. He releases him of his massive debt and he lets him go. Why? Because he has affection. He has compassion. So you and I clearly see the picture here. It's one of what? Of mercy and forgiveness. Now here's where the parable shifts now regarding this servant and another one. He leaves after receiving this massive, incredible, miraculous uh, deliverance. And rather than rejoice that he saved his family, that this mercy was extended, that he would go to all the other people who might owe him some, some debt, in this case, this other fellow servant, and just free them of their debt. No, instead, he finds. So he goes out. They didn't just run into each other on accident. He found one of his fellow servants, so he was pursuing him. And this man owed him, it says here, 100 denarii in verse 28, which a denarius was just a Roman silver coin. And notice he seizes him and he chokes him and he threatens him to pay him back. And the guy does the same thing. He falls on his knees and he cries out and he says, have mercy, have patience with me, I will pay. And he doesn't listen to him. He throws him in prison. So the other fellow servants hear about this. They're grieved. They're saddened by this. They tell the master and the, and the master has a servant come before him. And we are told here in an anger, verse 34, the master delivers him into the jailers until he should pay back his debt, which we know is impossible. So what do we see here in verses 28 through 35? Well, this servant who was forgiven much, think about it. He was forgiven by the king. He should have extended the same kind of compassion. But instead of him being a humbled servant, he is called a wicked servant. Why? Because he acts in rage and he violently attacked another servant despite his plea to pay him back. And you're thinking, why on earth does Jesus lay out such a graphic parable in response to this question that Peter had about how many times I forgive a brother who wrongs me? Think about our lives, my friends, as we close on today's podcast and looking right here on this parable of Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Think about how many times when somebody has pleaded with us, has begged us, and yet in pride and stubbornness and sin, we, in a, in a sense of haughtiness, right, a haughty spirit, you know, we look down on them and we push back and then we go and we ask God, hey, oh Lord, forgive me of my wrongdoing, just forgive me of my sins. We raise our hands on Sunday morning or we go deliver this to the poor and we write a check for this charity organization and we do all these things and then when it comes to somebody who does does wrong us, okay, they 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 may have we heard they say something hurtful to us or they betrayed our trust or they promised that they're gonna do something and they didn't deliver and it really bothered us or, or, or let us down or was a hindrance, whatever the case may be. But we are not to ask God for forgiveness. And then when someone who wrongs us and comes and seeks for forgiveness and we choke them, if you will, we are violent towards them or we are, think about what we, what we say with our tongue when you look at James 3. How many hurtful things we say with our tongue to people. And that's what Jesus is getting at. When you and I consider this text, it strongly suggests this wicked servant never intended to pay back the king because he was consumed with so much greed and with so much revenge. And so Jesus' lesson here, my friends, is very clear. 
we need to forgive. You and I cannot stand before the Lord and ask for forgiveness if we're not willing to forgive those who've wronged us. And the Bible also says that when you go before the altar and you know that there's something that your brother has against you, you need to leave your gift there, go be reconciled. We are to give that same kind of care, that same kind of love, and that same kind of mercy that God has shown us that we need to show others. And as a child of God, your sins and my sins have been forgiven greatly. Something that you and I for all eternity could never fully understand. They've been forgiven through Christ. And so when you set up Matthew 18, 15 through 20 in the context of when someone has wronged you and we have those processes there, whether it's personal confrontation, impartial arbitration, church admonition, or church ex uh, exclusion, we need to make sure that this parable is properly in context of any one of those processes, that we never lose sight of the forgiveness and mercy of God. And that when we go forth and we do certain things in our life, uh, in our marriages, in, with our children, in church life, at work, especially with brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to keep in mind this parable. We need to show people forgiveness. We cannot ask God for forgiveness through his son, Jesus. We cannot go to the Father, my friends. Please hear me. We cannot go to the Father and ask for forgiveness through his son, Jesus when we are not willing to forgive those around us. Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That my friends is what it's all about as Christians. We understand the debt, the massive debt that we owed the Lord. And there was no way, no way that we would ever pay back that debt and when, we, when you and I get on our knees and we plead with him, but instead of like this servant, we plead with him, say, Lord, forgive me of my wrongdoing. Show me mercy. I don't deserve it, but God, I need your mercy. When you and I act that humbly, when we're that broken, God hears us. And then when we get off our knees and we go out and do whatever it is that God has called us to do, and we are gonna interact with people and people are gonna say things and it's gonna hurt us, but you know what? We got to take it in strides and we cannot just assume for the most part that these people hate us or that we have hatred in our hearts, but instead we give them the benefit of the doubt. And especially when they say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry for what I said. Will you please forgive me? Even as much as it may have hurt us, we say, yes. I may not be fully in a place to forgive you, um, honestly, but through the power and the strength of Christ and the love that he demonstrated on the cross and as what Ephesians 4.32 says, as I've been forgiven, I need to forgive. I do. And the supernatural ability and power of the Holy Spirit, I forgive you. And you embrace one another. You bear with one another's burdens. My friends, you and I cannot afford to let the enemy take advantage of these opportunities and create more hatred and hostility and to divide us. We need to restore whatever has been lost and we can only do that through the mercy and the power of God. So I pray that's been a blessing for you today. Thank you for tuning in. Love you guys, and I'll see you on the next episode. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.